Sweet Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, a student of permaculture, a person who knows regenerative agriculture can cool the, cool the planet and feed the world, and a person with a close friend who grew up on the Canada-Minnesota border. Canadians sometimes joke that Minnesota is Canada's 11th province, or its southernmost province, and the heritage of a deep relationship between Minnesota and Canada has created mutual abundance. Canada is Minnesota's largest export market, accounting for 29% of foreign sales for state companies. Total Minnesota-Canadian trades adds up to $19 billion per year, according to the Minnesota Trade Office. How are current events impacting Minnesota and Canada? In studio with us are two people best equipped to answer this question, Consul General for Canada, Paul Connors, and Minnesota Agricultural Commissioner, David Fredrickson. Welcome to Food Freedom Radio. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning to you. Good morning. So what's going on? Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a on? deep question. Right? It is what a is deep going question. On? On. Uh, lots, of, uh, lots of activity, obviously, in the area of trade. Um, uh, I'll be meeting this afternoon, uh, or I'd rather at lunchtime, with a Chinese delegation coming in. So it's a good opportunity to come down and visit with you and uh, and uh, uh, General Counsel uh, Connors today to have a discussion about how it impacts agriculture. Uh, right now, I'm afraid that agriculture is what we refer to as collateral damage uh, in in terms of what's going on uh, at the uh, congressional level and at the administrative level. And so we we really can't take a lot more damage in the ag economy. We're on our knees right now. Collateral damage, that word has a um, horrific history. And, and describe what's going on with Minnesota agriculture right now. Well, prices have dropped significantly. Let's just talk about soybean prices. Uh, we're at, in, in west central Minnesota, my home community, little town of Murdoch, 280 people. Uh, we have a, a major grain facility there. Uh, soybean prices, cash prices on yesterday's market were $7.63. Uh, we're back to, you know, a couple of years ago prices. And our input costs continue to go up and up. And so it's so important that we focus on not only just producing food and fiber and fuel and feed, but we also have that fifth leg of the five-legged table, and that is trade. And so when one of those uh, struggles, uh, we have a, a problem across the entire sector. And now we have several of them struggling. Several, several struggling. Yeah. Okay, so Consul General, let's start with the question. What is a Consul General? What, what is that? Oh, well, uh, a Consulate General is just a subsidiary office of an embassy. Typically, a country only has an embassy in a foreign capital, and they cover the whole country. But in some cases, such as the U.S.-Canada relationship, the relationship is so huge, uh, so integrated, so diverse, that you need sub-offices. So we have 12, in addition to our embassy in Washington, we have 12 consulates throughout the United States in major cities, uh, just as the State Department has an embassy in Washington, and there are U.S. consulates in major Canadian cities, Vancouver, Calgary, Winnipeg, Toronto, Montreal, Halifax. So we have 12 in the States. So we work on any aspect of the relationship uh, that needs working. I'm proud to say that I lead a small but mighty team <laughs> of 12 women and 5 men who have the honor every day of working on deepening what already is the best relationship in the world between any two countries. Yeah, and that sounds like that, that's very meaningful work to be working on deepening relationships. And has the overall ecosystem been uh, um, affected in our relationship? I mean, there's so much drama in out there. Um, well, the biggest issue at the moment we're working on are trade issues between uh, the countries. Uh, there are two big things there. One is we're trying to renegotiate it, uh, the NAFTA treaty uh, with between Canada, Mexico, and the United States. And the other thing is in response to a challenge that the international community and Western governments have with Chinese overproduction of steel, a diagnosis of which the Canadian government agrees with the U.S. administration. Uh, the prescription of the U.S. administration was to put tariffs on everyone, uh, including allies, and we disagree with that. So we have two challenges at the moment. Uh, it's the uh, tariffs that the U.S. have placed on steel and aluminum, and Canada responded in kind uh, after waiting for a month uh, trying 
hoping that the U.S. administration might reverse that policy, but they didn't. So we have the tariff issue and we have the renegotiation of NAFTA. But I like how you started the conversation, uh, Laura, which is Canada is the U.S.'s largest export market. It's Minnesota's largest export market. And if we just do agricultural trade, Canada is the U.S.'s largest market and it's Minnesota's largest market. So there are things we can make better in that trading relationship and we want to work with our American friends uh, to do it. And uh, I'm delighted we have a very good relationship with Commissioner Fredrickson and we've been working those relationship uh, uh, to make it better long before I got here and long after I'm gone. We'll, can Canadians and Americans will continue to do that. Awesome. Now, I want to just briefly talk, touch on still tariffs because the issue has been with China dumping and the current American policy of attacking clo closer allies really seems illogical. Can you talk about the intersectionalities? I mean, there's the same still trade workers, the same union between Canada and Minnesota. Well, it's interesting because the United Steelworkers Union headquartered in Pittsburgh, um, I mean, ostensibly the U.S. administration is doing this to defend blue-collar American jobs and you know, uh, 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 the American worker. Well, if you look at the United Steelworkers Union, they put out a press release saying Canada is not the problem. Canada trades fair in steel. Please don't put these tariffs on Canada. And then when they did, they put out another press release saying we disagree with this. Canada is not the problem. And then The Economist magazine from uh, July 7th said the current U.S. policy of lumping, quote, trade with security, wrapping them up together will make the West less secure as well as poorer. Because that was another part of this that seemed very illogical is the connection between this and security. Well, there are a, a fair amount of illogical things that have come out of this administration. That is just one of them. In order to uh, make this happen, uh, he had to obviously use that, that provision that allowed him to uh, move forward with the tariff. Yeah, so the details on that, this has something to do with... <laughs> it's kind of confusing, isn't it? National security. National security, okay. So I want to um, step back a little bit and really um, explore the intersectionality of Minnesota and Canada in our agriculture. And there's some really fun examples of power in the innovative food system. For instance, Pizzy Ingredients is now building a $3.2 million flaxseed plant, and that's a Canadian company. Are you familiar with that? Uh, I am. Uh, flaxseed, when I grew up, which is a long, long time ago, uh, <laughs> uh, a flax crop was, um, it was... Uh, Weird. Well, no, not I mean, so much. When I grew up, it was ubiquitous. It was all over oh. the place. We had, uh, always had a flax crop, uh, that beautiful blue uh, sea of color. Uh, we had a company by the name of Archer Daniels Midland that bought uh, flax straw. So you used to see piles of flax straw all across the landscape in western Minnesota. And it would be a sign on the property of Archer Daniels Midland, kids don't climb on these bales. And so we stayed away from those. But there was value there. There was value in the seed and there was value in the straw. And the straw was utilized in, you know, I don't know, I guess in the, in the war years they utilized it to make nylons out of it. So, uh, yeah, there's, there is value added. And uh, I'm always an advocate of an alternative crop in Minnesota, something else. I mean, uh, think about soybeans. Uh, years ago, soybean were a new crop, came from China. Uh, today, it is a standard crop uh, here in Minnesota. But we need to get out of that cycle. We need to make sure that we have other crops that we can rely on as we move forward. So it's exciting to see a significant uh, contribution uh, to the community of Delano, certainly. Uh, the job growth uh, will be a, an important factor, and uh, the ability for farmers to uh, contract a new crop is exciting. And it's great to see even greater integration be in the agricultural sector between Canada and the United States. As you noted, Laura, this is a company from Manitoba investing in Minnesota, and there's a few wonderful Minnesota ag companies like Cargill and Hormel and Lando Lakes that have invested in Canada. So it's a great relationship between the countries. And that intersectionality, I mean, they, we're so linked. Yeah, we are. And it's, you know, Minnesota is the home of uh, several large international companies. Uh, Cargill, of course, and Lando Lakes come right to the, to the surface. Farmers don't trade. They sell their grain to companies that trade. And so it's a key critical ingredient in that process. And uh, we need to make sure that, um, you know, that continues to be viable. Right. So can we... Uh 
how can we, this whole trying to understand all of this um, illogical stuff going on with trade, how do we create something that's better? I mean, how, well, first of all, let's understand it. What is going on right now? Well, I don't know the game plan. Uh, if I did, you know, I, I would be probably not sitting here. I'd be making money someplace. <laughs> I don't know the game plan, uh, but uh, the current president, uh, apparently feels that you have to be a tough negotiator and uh, we'll see how that all plays out. I uh, frankly don't believe that the approach that he's taking is going to be beneficial to American agriculture. Again, I go back to the fact that we seem to be collateral damage in this whole trade war and it continues to ramp up. My guess is that China is not going to say, I give up, you're right, we're wrong. I don't think they're going to do that. I think they're just going to keep coming. Um, and we'll lose markets. There's no two ways about it. I'll be leaving uh, at the end of the month for Taiwan to go down and talk to them about continuing the market that opportunities we have uh, with uh, Taiwan. Uh, we do it the old-fashioned way. We go down there, we sit down with them around the table and visit with them and invite them to come back to Minnesota to announce they're generally uh, uh, looking at about a $3 billion purchase of corn and soybeans from the from, uh, U.S. About 14% of that, 10 to 14% probably comes out of the Minnesota grain bin, the rest out of the U.S. grain bin. Everything uh, adds up and counts. And <clears throat> I remember saying to them the last time I was here, I hope you come to Minnesota to announce uh, the purchase of the grain. And they said, well... Yeah, we probably will, because uh, you're the only one that came here and invited us. So it's the old-fashioned way. It's the old-fashioned way. And the nice heritage relationship, Minnesota and Canada, we're talking all things trade. This is Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We're going to take a break. And we're gonna, when we come back, we're going to ask the question, has America finally made Canadians mad, really mad? <laughs> Seward Co-op, serving the community for nearly 45 years, invites you to shop their two convenient locations, both offering the strong commitment to local producers and healthy foods you've come to expect. Seward focuses on locally grown and raised products, fair trade, and environmental sustainability. Shop their selection of meats, artisan cheeses, and house-made baked goods. Find Seward at 2823 East Franklin Avenue or the Friendship Store on 38th Street and 3rd Avenue in Minneapolis. More at seward.coop. Do yourself a favor and check out the amazing cuisine of EatLocalMinnesota.com. More than just a website, EatLocalMinnesota.com provides you with the best local and independently owned restaurants in the Twin Cities. The award-winning Hazel's Northeast combines the feel of a small-town diner with the vibrant nature of its Northeast Minneapolis neighborhood. Whether it's breakfast, lunch, weekend brunch, or dinner, their classically inspired and creatively prepared American comfort food is always made from scratch. Hazel's Northeast at 29th and Johnson in Northeast Minneapolis. EatLocalMinnesota.com the dedicated staff at Nightingale Restaurant take pride in presenting a thoughtful and delicious approach to food and drink, whether you're visiting for dinner, happy hour, or brunch. Their focus on made-from-scratch meals using sustainable and local ingredients is likely to make Nightingale your go-to spot for inspired food and drinks. Nightingale, Lindell and 26th in Minneapolis. I'm John Peterson, and at Ferndale Market, we are proud to provide our free-range turkey to local restaurants and natural food stores. One of our partners since the beginning has been Birchwood Cafe, and we're excited to announce a new partnership product, the Birchwood Turkey Burger Patty. Made from their popular turkey burger recipe, using our antibiotic-free turkey and Birchwood's local and organic ingredients. Put an end to bland turkey burgers. Find this and all our Ferndale turkey products at your local co-op or natural food store. Visit FerndaleMarket.com. The only thing better than being outdoors soaking up that summer sunshine is coming into a nice, cool, air-conditioned house afterwards. So if you're looking at updating or buying a new AC, Standard Heating and Air Conditioning has some great systems at $700 off during July. There's even easy financing options available on approved credit. It's no sweat. Really, no sweat. Call today and ask how you can save $700 on your new air conditioner. Learn more at standardheatingdeals.com. Some restrictions apply. Tap, taste, and treasure at Vinaigrette, where we have some warm seasonal recipes all ready to create dynamite meals. Our fig balsamic vinegar pairs perfectly with roasted Brussels sprouts or baked brie. 
And sweet potatoes are always a winner, but never more than when they're roasted with a drizzle of vinaigrette cinnamon or orange-fused extra virgin olive oil on top. Come in today for more custom-crafted food and cocktail recipes at Vinaigrette, 50th and Xerxes in Minneapolis, and 287 Water Street in downtown Excelsior. Online at vinaigrettemn.com. Food Freedom Radio, where we plant the seeds of change. I'm Laura Hedlund, and in studio with us is uh, David Fredrickson. He's the commissioner, uh, the Ag Commissioner for the state of Minnesota, and the Council General for Canada, Paul Connors. And an article in the Globe uh, titled this, uh, Donald Trump has finally made us mad, really mad. And here's a quote from uh, Steve Bannon. Chaos and conflict are what he likes. Uh, This is how he governs, and this is his superpower. Can we order? Can we raise a superpower of order and peace to counter this superpower of chaos and conflict? Well, let me take one aspect of that: uh, the Canadian perception of our American uh, friends uh, and the U.S. administration right now. Uh, I would say, very sincerely and transparently, to our American friends, um, typically when you have a trade dispute or you take a trade action, you show that the other guy did something against the rules and you make the case and then demonstrating that case, you're allowed to take action. The one exemption to that is you say, I don't have anything really to complain about, but I have a national security concern, uh, a threat, if you will. And under that, there is a provision in our trading arrangements uh, that a country can take action. So the steel and aluminum tariffs that were imposed on Canada on June 1st were taken under national security grounds. That caused Canadians uh, quite a bit concerns. Canadians have stood shoulder to shoulder with our American brothers in two world wars, in Korea, and most recently as the Gulf War. As we sit here today, Canadian Special Forces are embedded with U.S. Special Forces in Iraq and Syria, addressing the heinous aspects of Uh, Islamic terrorism. So from a Canadian perspective, the article you were referring to in the Canadian press, uh, to quote our foreign ministers, we do find it absurd to be labeled a national security threat to our American friends. The only way that we could be considered a national security threat is if we killed you with kindness. I like that. Let's talk a little bit about the World Trade Organization because that works on certain rule. It's a rule-based, and the United States has been a big uh, judge of those rules. We've been ones that have been really supporting the rules of the road under the World Trade Organization. And now it's sort of like other administration. We're really um, acting in contrary to the roles and the rules of the road that we've we made. Is, is that an accurate assumption? Canada's perspective is that under U.S. leadership following two world wars and the greatest depression, economic depression that we had ever known, under U.S. leadership, this wonderful architecture was put in place after World War II on the economic side, the GATT system now called the World Trade Organization, on the security side, uh, NATO, and the principles of supporting liberal democracy and free markets. We are imperfect at executing those things, but we would argue that that architecture, if you compare the last 70 years with the 70 years before it, two world wars and the worst depression we've ever seen, there are benefits to this architecture that the Western liberal democracies put together under U.S. leadership. Are these institutions perfect? No, they're not. Um, So with friends and allies, let's bring our concerns to the tables. Let's work on making them better. But yes, Canada does have, takes pause and has concerns not to throw out the baby with the bathwater. U.S. leadership uh, in the Western liberal democracies has been fundamental to the peace and prosperity, relatively speaking, that we've enjoyed since 1945. I agree with Paul. Uh, I happened to be present during the uh, WTO uh, in in Seattle, and it was an interesting time to uh, be there as a a farm organization I was with at the time, uh, and it was chaotic. But out of the chaos actually uh, grows order. And as as Paul has said, uh, it's not perfect, uh, but uh, at the end of the day, it's what we have, and we should be able to work within those rules instead of creating more chaos and more disorder. Um, it sends the wrong signal. Um, we're, you know, 
reasonable people, we should be able to sit down and, and figure this out what, rather than uh, major threats tossed across the table. Right. And I think trying to ground ourselves in an intention. I mean, we want a healthy living system um, that's good for all people. It's good for water, good for soil, good for the planet. I want to talk about climate change. But I know it, we, it, we really want to talk about the dairy issue. So let's let's get into that dairy issue. Um, I know I have a friend that uh, married a, a third-generation dairy farmer, and it's really hard out there for Minnesota dairy farmers right now. Yeah, that, you know, ab absolutely it is. Uh, we're losing uh, dairy farmers. In fact, we're losing farmers. I was looking at some numbers the other day uh, from 1958, the year that Minnesota celebrated its 100th anniversary, the centennial of statehood. And at that time, we had 183,000 farms in Minnesota. Today, our number has dropped to 73,500. So wow. we've lost over 100,000 farms since we celebrated our 100th anniversary 50-some years ago. Uh, and dairy farms are certainly part of that. We still have a, a, you know, a, a significant amount of dairy in Minnesota. Some, of the, some counties are, are heavier dairy than others. Uh, but we rely on that. It's uh, good for communities. Um, technology is such today that actually kids that grew up on an old-style dairy farm like I did, where we were the labor, those young people are thinking about maybe coming back because there are things like robot milkers. <laughs> we had a robot milker. Heck, I'd probably be milking cows today. You never know. But uh, uh, we had a problem. Uh, we had about uh, a dozen uh, farm families that were impacted by the ultra-filtered milk issue. Uh, but uh, thanks to uh, Agripor in Canada, we had discussions about this. Uh, Agripor came in and decided they were able to pick up uh, all the milk that those uh, 10 or 11, I think it was 11 farms, I believe it was, that we were impacted, that were impacted by that, uh, where the processors said, I can't take your milk anymore. And that uh, was because of the ultra-filtered milk. And Canada has some wonderful ways of supporting their dairy farmers. Do you think the dairy farmers in Minnesota would like a similar? Oh, I don't think we want to go down that road. Okay, uh, no. No, uh, they're too independent. And uh, But, you know, I, I look at the Canadian system, and Paul certainly is uh, more knowledgeable than I, um, but it, it seems to work for Canada. And who am I to tell you that you shouldn't do it? <laughs> So if I can uh, uh, first comment, and then I'd like to take another aspect of the issue. The comment is what uh, Commissioner Fredrickson alluded to, where when we had this issue a little over a year ago, uh, he mentions agriculture, but one of the first things he did was he called us into his office, and we went over and had a chat and got at the issues, and the first thing you do is hear the other guy out and try to figure um, where it's coming from. So um, I won't repeat what he said, but other than say this is just how good relationships work and it's how the Canada-US relationship and it's all its manifestation works the best, which is we are reasonable people, get folks together and find a way to uh, get through challenges because there'll be future challenges as well. Um, I think the aspect of Canadian dairy that you're alluding to, Laura, is our supply management system, which has been the subject of debate uh, during the NAFTA negotiation. So we do have supply management in Canada. It's a system that works for Canada and we defend. What we do in our trading uh, relationships is we negotiate some degree of free trade access uh, for our trading free trading partners. And then above that, there's usually a high tariff. So you've seen that. What I would say there is every country, including the United States, including Mexico, have areas, as much as we're committed to free trade, there are a handful of areas where we didn't quite do free trade. Uh, there are a number of USDA support programs that the U.S. wants to main, maintain. They are derogated in, in NAFTA and your other trading relationships, and they are with Canada. Sugar is the big example in the United States. The best place to get more access is at the negotiating table, and let me assure you, our Mexican and American friends are pushing us to we're do gonna, more. We're going to need to take a break. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Now you want to say that we are 
With all the convenient big box stores that sell appliances, why do so many Minnesotans choose Warner Stellion? Check online to learn that Warner Stellion is a Minnesota family-owned business for over 60 years. Warner Stellion sells more brands than anyone else, and our passionate specialists are committed to impressing you so much that you'll refer us to everyone you know. That's our mission here at Warner Stellion. Ask around, check us out online, and when it's your time to buy appliances, join over 300,000 Minnesota homeowners and choose the specialists. Warner Stellion. Kevin Ross here, inviting you to our brand new store called Ambibulous. What does Ambibulous mean? It means one who enjoys alcoholic beverages of all sorts. Ambibulous is a Minnesota maker's market. Unlike traditional liquor stores, we feature only craft beer, wine, and spirits made here in Minnesota. We are ready to guide your selections, where you can build your own four or six packs. Find us at 949 Hennepin Avenue East in Northeast Minneapolis or online at ambibulousmn.com. Hi, this is Paul Metza inviting you to Blackie's Memorial Wolf and Annie 2. It's a benefit for Homeward Bound Dog Rescue. It will be taking place on Saturday, July 14th from 3 to 7 p.m. at Moe's American Grill, located at 2400 Mounds View Boulevard in Mounds View, Minnesota. Features some great music. I'll have my trio there. Tommy Lieberman, Mary Harris, Alicia Corbett, John Amoro, Dan Rumsey, Martin Devaney, Jenny Dodds, Curtis Say, and Doug Collins. And who knows who else is going to show up. Blackie was my lovely rescue dog. We lived together for 16 years, so it's an honor of him. I had to let him go to the doggy gods about a year and a half ago. So we're going to raise some money for the homeless dogs out there. It's going to happen rain or shine, and we're actually going to have dogs for adoption from 3 to 5 p.m., and it's also dog-friendly. So bring the pup Saturday, July 14th from 3 to 7 p.m. Benefit for Homeward Bound Dog Rescue at Moe's in Moundsview. Hope to see you there. I'm John Peterson, and at Ferndale Market, we are proud to provide our free-range turkey to local restaurants and natural food stores. One of our partners since the beginning has been Birchwood Cafe, and we're excited to announce a new partnership product, the Birchwood Turkey Burger Patty. Made from their popular turkey burger recipe, using our antibiotic-free turkey and Birchwood's local organic ingredients. Put an end to bland turkey burgers. Find this and all our Ferndale turkey products at your local co-op or natural food store. Visit FerndaleMarket.com. With your AM950 weather, this is Eric Nelson. Today, a 40% chance of rain and thunderstorms with a high near 83. Tonight, rain may continue with a low around 69. Saturday, partly sunny with a high of 86 and a low around 71. Sunday will be rainy with a high of 85 and a low around 66. EatLocalMinnesota.com's restaurant of the week is Hazel's Northeast, offering classically inspired, creatively prepared comfort food. This restaurant has scratch dishes rooted in over 50 years of family tradition. Check them out at the corner of 29th and Johnson in Northeast Minneapolis or see the full menu at EatLocalMinnesota.com. Try to see it my way. Do I have to keep on talking till I can go? So welcome back to Food Freedom Radio, where we plant the seeds of change. I'm Laura Hedlund, and in studio with us is Council Gender, General, General for Canada, Paul Connors, and Minnesota Agricultural Commissioner, David Fredrickson. So we want a food system that's anti-fragile and good for the planet, and the connection between the food system and uh, climate change, that is also complex. Yeah, it sure is. Uh, and one only has to look what's happened over the last uh, several weeks in terms of our rainfall in Minnesota. I travel with the governor on Friday and Monday uh, to parts uh, uh, of Minnesota, southwestern Minnesota primarily, uh, along the I-90 corridor. And the damage is significant, not only to uh, uh, farmland, but to municipals, uh, municipalities across the area in terms of their water and sewer uh, systems that were uh, compromised uh, over the last several weeks. And so uh, crop damage is significant. You see a significant amount of denitrification occurring in cornfields where the, it, it, they've had wet feet, so to speak, for a long time, and the nitrogen that's there goes the other direction, doesn't go up. And so uh, that is adding insult to injury, I guess, as we uh, look forward to um, uh, hopefully a good crop in Minnesota. Unfortunately, you know, we, we measure output in the aggregate, but farmers farm individually. 
And so there's going to be pain on many farms across Minnesota. We're hopeful that our federal crop program or federal crop insurance will be there uh, to lift farmers up when they really need it, a helping hand at this point in time. Yeah, so and is that farmer's crop insurance, is that a trade barrier or... No. Shouldn't be. Uh, you know, it was uh, seriously discussed in the past farm bill. Uh, that seems to be where uh, the action is at. I don't know whether there's a dispute. Uh, yes, crop insurance is subsidized uh, at the federal level, so the farmer doesn't pay uh, the full cost of it. But that's what we do. We help, you know, when farmers are, you know, going down for the count, we don't push them in the head and say, you know, stay there. Uh, we try to... Uh, pull them back up and, and do something about it, and that's what we do. That's our policy in Minnesota, or in, in the U.S., so crop insurance. David Fredersen, talk a little bit more about the the feeling in rural Minnesota right now um, with so much going on. Well, we've got... Uh, <laughs> Thanks for raising that issue because uh, stress farm stress on on uh, Minnesota farmers has been incredible. I went through the 80s. I farmed for 25 years in western Minnesota. Came home to the farm when my father's health failed and eventually passed away. Um, and I remember the 80s, and it wasn't fun. Uh, a lot of a lot of stress on neighbors, uh, myself included, my wife and I, uh, trying to struggle to make sure that you made it at the end of the day. And so we found the same thing is occurring in Minnesota today. And so we've reached out with a, a helpline that makes uh, that is a 1-800 number that people can call if they're experiencing problems, and it just. Uh, it's incredible. We get a fair, a significant amount of folks. We've had a couple of suicides, um, and so if we can prevent one suicide, whatever money that we spend is well worth it. Mm -hmm. And you were uh, president of the National Farmers Union. I was, yes. I served for uh, two terms as president of the National Farmers Union, another uh, 11 years president of Minnesota Farmers Union, a couple of... A couple of terms in the Minnesota Senate, uh, had the good sense to retire, flunked retirement, and here I am again. So, <laughs> you know, I want to have, I want to hear the, what, I want to hear some good news, and I think that's what a lot of people want to hear right now too, is good news. I don't want it to be fake good news, though. I want well, it to be real. To quote a famous Canadian, Anne Murray, who said, "We sure could use a little good news today," and so I'll let Paul. Uh, that's a great lead-in for you, Paul, so go ahead. Well, let me uh, pull it back. And don't sing the song. Oh, you've heard me sing before. He's heard me sing before. That's good advice. Um, I would pull it back to the NAFTA negotiations, and I would do a half-glass-full argument, which is, if we all recall the rhetoric from the last U.S. election campaign, NAFTA was the worst trade deal ever negotiated, and I'm going to rip it up. Um, so fast forward, we have the Trump administration and the three countries launched a negotiation to get NAFTA new and improved, to use the marketing term. So as we sit here a little more than a year into that, uh, the good news is the, the three countries have done a very good job of chapter by chapter going through the treaty, updating the language, and coming to agreement. There's about six or seven chapters that are completely agreed. Uh, most of the others are in extremely good shape. And we're down to a, a, a handful, three or four issues, hard nuts to crack. Uh, but this is the pattern you always get in a trade negotiation. Uh, the reason we're in such good shape, I would argue, as a Canadian, it's my job to speak out in terms of uh, Canada's interests, but as that renegotiation was launched, a lot of uh, uh, U.S. Uh, stakeholders, be it congressmen, be it governors, be it farm bureaus, be it companies, be it chambers of commerce, spoke up and said, okay, well, whatever the concerns are with NAFTA and whatever you want to improve, Overall, NAFTA's been a pretty good deal for us because, and they would fill in the blank for their commodity group or their business association uh, or their company. Cargill has a wonderful website up called Fed by Trade, which lists the benefits to, uh, from its perspective, uh, from free trade and NAFTA in the agricultural sector. So what I would leave you with is we've actually made very good progress, the three countries in the last year. It's not over. There are a couple tough issues in front of us still. As we sit here today, the three countries do not see eye to eye on those tough issues. So it's not assured. But with goodwill and what Canadians and Americans and our Mexican friends have always done, if we keep at it, we can get the puck in the net.
Yeah, keeping at it. And I mean, under NAFTA, Minnesota egg imports to Canada grew 250% from 1995 to 2016. Not bad, eh? Not bad, not bad. Um, but um, so in an ideal world, what would you like America to do? Me? Yeah. Um, I just want to keep this great relationship going and keep making it better. And I think uh, our, that has always been the response we've gotten from our American friends. And I think... That wins the day in the end. I think so, too. Do you think that wins the day? I agree. Um, I spent years on a local school board. I was a former school teacher. I taught uh, behavior problem kids, which is probably why you know, <laughs> things have worked out fairly well since that, those days. Uh, but I sat on the local board when we negotiated our, our contracts. And, um, yeah, you, you work through the process. Uh, the system is structured so that you can identify those areas that are going to be difficult, and then you really go to work on them. But you're working with your friends and neighbors across the bargaining table. These are your school teachers, the kids, people who teach your children. And so, uh, yeah, it got tense at times, but at the end of the day, we, uh, we ended up uh, coming away with an agreement that everyone could live with. That's the way we ought to approach this. That is. And, and right now there's almost this dominant meme out there of always looking for someone to blame. And, and I believe that some people manipulate this human tendency towards drama memes to uh, serve a political purpose. So is there a way of turning down the drama and having more dialogue? Well, this is politics at its finest, I guess, or its worst. Uh, depends on your perspective. Um, yeah, I, I, I think there is. I mean... Uh, if we've reached the point where there isn't, uh, Lord help us. I agree. Yeah, I agree. And then I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Get some one of the things that's kind of complicated from my perspective is, I, I, I also think it's really important for us to have an anti-fragile and local food system. So in some ways, I've been anti-globalization, um, and 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 only in that I really want to keep that. Um, that alive, that the, the, our own ability to feed ourselves in an anti-fragile world that's tied to the climate. So this globalization has also carried some negatives. So how do we lift those negatives? What, or well, you know, I, I spent, uh, I've been to Cuba th uh, three times in the last three years, and they have product in Cuba that I think Americans, and we don't raise fruit up here during the winter months. They're 80 miles from our border. Um, I, I would think that, um, you know, to maintain that fragile system, uh, we should be working with our partners. Um, I, you know, it was the irony of being in Cuba uh, on the same day that the president was in North Korea uh, is really interesting to me. It was just sort of dripping that we can't deal with our Cuban uh, counterparts. Yeah. But yet, at the same time, we seem to be able to try to work with North Korea. Something was wrong with that picture, and uh, I struggle with that a little bit. The fact I would throw out is Canada and the United States are two countries that produce more food than we consume. So trading's a wonderful thing. We're helping to feed the world. Now, as the commissioner said, we do that in not every food product. So there are foods like uh, fruits, tropical fruits that you're going to, if you want to eat them, you're going to have to import. Mm -hmm. So trade is a good thing on, 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 in the agricultural sector. And I think USDA statistics bear that out. I think it's a 20% or a quarter of U.S. farm income is because of the increment of the amount that the U.S. Uh, trades food globally. So there are challenges. I don't disagree, mm -hmm. Laura. There are some aspects of uh, international trade and ag products that uh, are, have challenges and need to yeah, be addressed. Yeah, palm oil but and stuff exactly, like that. Exactly. Yeah. Deforestation from palm oil is a good example. Overall, though, trade, agricultural trade internationally is a very good thing for the United States and Canada and for global food supply in particular. And I assume you agree with that. Absolutely. Okay. I do agree. Uh, it's important. It's that fifth leg, uh, if you will, the one that's in the middle of the table. You know, you've got the four corners that would produce feed, food, fuel, and fiber, and then we have trade. I mean, even the soybean growers have it down to how many rows go for export <laughs> and how many rows go for uh, domestic consumption, yeah. and it's staggering. It's staggering, and then ethanol has also been a success story. Ethanol is a, a, a huge success story, and our neighbors from uh, the north uh, purchase a, a significant amount of, of uh, ethanol. I, uh, 
have a long history with ethanol development in Minnesota going back to 1987 when we introduced legislation to require that every gallon of gasoline sold in Minnesota would contain 10% oxygenated fuel. That took 10 years to get that accomplished statewide. Today we have the capacity to uh, produce over a billion gallons of ethanol and in 1987 we were burning a billion gallons of regular gasoline. So today we produce as much as we burned in regular gas. And so so let, it's been a success story. So let me use ethanol to uh, trumpet the benefits of NAFTA again. So Canada has a 5% uh, biofuels mandate in our gasoline. Some of our provinces have even higher ones. And all the ethanol we produce in Canada, we're, you're cold in Minnesota, but we're a little colder. <laughs> um, all the ethanol we produce in Canada satisfies half of that national mandate. The other half comes from the United States. Why? Well, two reasons. One, you're very good at, at producing ethanol, as Commissioner Fredrickson mentioned. But the second reason is under NAFTA, ethanol comes to Canada duty-free from the United States, whereas Brazil, the other big producer in the world, faces an 18.5 cent a gallon under WTO, uh, under our tariff rates under WTO. So uh, ethanol has been great as biofuel policy in both countries, but uh, NAFTA has also deepened that ethanol integration between our two countries. It's a great example. It is a great example. We're going to take a break, and we'll be back for our last segment, and we're talking about trade between Minnesota and Canada. Um, Canada consistently ranks among the top ten in the annual Best Countries for Businesses by Forbes. Moreover, in 2011, the World Economic Forum ranked Canada's baking system as the soundest in the world. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Tap, taste, and treasure at Vinaigrette, where we have some warm seasonal recipes all ready to create dynamite meals. Our fig balsamic vinegar pairs perfectly with roasted Brussels sprouts or baked brie. And sweet potatoes are always a winner, but never more than when they're roasted with a drizzle of vinaigrette cinnamon or orange-fused extra virgin olive oil on top. Come in today for more custom-crafted food and cocktail recipes at Vinaigrette, 50th and Xerxes in Minneapolis and 287 Water Street in downtown Excelsior. Online at vinaigrettemn.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Scott Shamblot from Shamblot Family Dentistry. We're the fear-free, get-you-out-of-pain-now dental office. And I'm Rachel Shamblot. Did you know a lot of people are afraid of the dentist? You don't need to be afraid of my dad. He makes going to the dentist comfortable and even fun. We don't care if you're a dental regular or haven't seen a dentist in years. We just want to make you comfortable and get you out of pain. If you don't see my dad, please see another dentist. Take care of your teeth because they're the only ones you get. Call 1-800-FIX-MY-TEETH or visit fixmyteeth.us. This is Chad, owner of AM950, here to tell you about Snap Construction. They're experts in roofing, siding, window, and insurance restoration. They have energy-efficient products available for both residential and commercial properties. This spring, when we needed a company to take a look at a problem with our roof, I called the company I knew I could trust, Snap Construction. I've known Ryan, the owner at Snap Construction, for years, so I knew I could trust him. Don't just take my word for it. Check out their reviews online. They are arguably the most well-reviewed exterior contractor online in the metro area. Over the years, Ryan has always said the same thing to me about his work. If we build it, shouldn't we be held accountable for the work indefinitely? He backed that statement up years ago when Snap Construction was a pioneer in offering a lifetime craftsmanship guarantee on all their work. For a free estimate or general questions, call the locally owned company AM950 Trusts Snap Construction at 612-333-SNAP. That's 612-333-SNAP, or find them online at snapconstruction.com. They have financing options available. Seward Co-op, serving the community for nearly 45 years, invites you to shop their two convenient locations, both offering the strong commitment to local producers and healthy foods you've come to expect. Seward focuses on locally grown and raised products, fair trade, and environmental sustainability. Shop their selection of meats, artisan cheeses, and house-made baked goods. Find Seward at 2823 East Franklin Avenue or the Friendship Store on 38th Street and 3rd Avenue in Minneapolis. More at seward.coo. Summer is the season to clean the easily overlooked areas of your house. Look at your roof. Do you have black streaks, blotches, or algae? Don't wait until you need to replace your roof. You can clean it for much cheaper. What about your siding? Run your finger along the outside of your house, and you can feel the cleaning it needs. For cleaning services, call Blue Sky Services at 651-447-4484. And tell them that you're an AM950 listener to save up to $100 in July only. That's 651 651- 
888-447-4484. Call now to save on July services. Slow down, you move too fast. You got to make the moment last. <laughs> I do really like this song. So you're listening to Food Freedom Radio on uh, AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. I'm Laura Hedlund, and in studio with me is the Consul General for Canada, Paul Connors, and Minnesota Agricultural Commissioner, David Fredrickson. And um, I also have this Manitoba Pine to Prairie International Birding Trail Guide, which happened to be in my desk. And what I love about this is it's a joint tourism thing between Minnesota and Canada. And as far as the birds, um, they're very much like my friend who grew up in the Canadian-Minnesota border. They didn't really know the difference between Canada and Minnesota. I mean, we have our individuality, but there's this. No, and let's throw your state butterfly in there. Your state butterfly <laughs> is the monarch. And again, I like to do all things NAFTA, the monarch winter. Uh, outside west of Mexico City and uh, basically follows the I-35 corridor up into Minnesota and trips over into Manitoba and Ontario. And we actually have a tripartite initiative between the countries and the states along the route and the provinces to make sure that we're planting more milkweed, which is the natural food source for monarch butterflies, to keep this wonderful uh, free trade in Free trade butterflies that goes on between us. Yes, yes, and a wonderful collaboration on uh, the uh, the Superior Lakes. Yes, Great Lakes. Yeah, Great Lakes. The Great Lakes. Yeah, um, it, it, it is. Uh, we can learn a lot from the birds, right? The birds <laughs> and the butterflies. I have a brother and a sister-in-law that are uh, intense birders and travel the world uh, looking at birds. Um, and I'm an old dirt farmer that used to have a frustration with milkweed, but now uh, I have, my wife has them growing in the garden. Yeah. Uh, so old guys like me can change attitudes, and I have certainly changed uh, attitude. Uh, Manitoba is an incredible neighbor to Minnesota. Uh, I uh, visit uh, annually with Minnesota, Manitoba pork. Uh, and they stay on message, I'll tell you, uh, every year. Uh, we come down, we talk about the same thing. But the good news is that we always sit down and talk and have a cup of coffee over it and, and discuss mutual concerns. So we have this uh, tradition of working together across border. Uh, we also have the, uh, the concept that um, Canada has introduced, uh, and that is the protein highway. Uh, and so protein I, highway. Protein highway. And I think maybe Paul would be more uh, knowledgeable of uh, that issue, but it's, it uh, is totally important for all of us from Canada all the, way to, all the way south. So one of the things we haven't touched on yet in the agricultural uh, sector between the two countries is the innovation angle. Uh, because one of the reasons the Canada and the United States are net exporters of food and are so good at food production is because we innovate. Uh, whether that's using software, whether that's better uh, equipment, uh, whether that's developing uh, gene technologies, GMOs, on and on and on. So in the plant protein area, uh, we launched an initiative back in 2015. Uh, we cover five states at the consulate, Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, and Iowa. So we reached out in the agricultural communities, the governments, research centers, and universities, and got basically a best practices group going of collaborative uh, exchanges and work on developing new plant protein uh, technologies. Uh, it's only a couple years old. We've already had uh, some successes. We, we mapped uh, the assets of plant proteins uh, for the participating Canadian provinces and the five states. And I'm glad to say that recently the University of Minnesota established an innovation center uh, as part of the protein highway where companies can partner with university, Canadian partners, other researchers, the Minnesota government, and do research into uh, plant protein. It's a small thing, but all those small drip, drip, drips add up to this fantastic ag relationship and the innovation innovation is a big part of that. Yeah, and Frodo eventually was successful and he was small. So I like I like a lot of small small things. And there's there's also Step 1 Foods which is um, they're working on therapeutic few foods and they're using uh, Manitoba Agro Health Research Network and uh, uh, June berries. I'm okay with that as long as June berries and ice cream are part of the, <laughs> of, of that whole recipe. 
And you have to let me be Canadian and say for our Canadian, any Canadian listeners, June berries are Saskatoon berries to us, eh? Sask- <laughs> yes, yes. But this this innovation, and again, I'm going to mention the uh, $3.2 million flaxseed plant now coming up in Delano. And so how do we eat in a way that's healthy and vibrant and good for people in that relational way? Well, I think I see salads that are coated with flaxseed nowadays. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I think finding new uses uh, or recreating opportunity for to utilize old uses is a good idea. Value added uh, for our farmers uh, across Minnesota is uh, so important. I mean, farmers are price takers. They go to the marketplace on bended knee uh, and say, what, please, sir, will you give me or ma'am for my product today? But with value added, you can actually set a price. And so it is critically important that we have these opportunities uh, such as the flex. Uh, the value added. Set, and, value added. And, and um, um, we love the co-ops. In fact, June 14th is the farm co-op tour. So people who are looking for something to do on Saturday, June 14th, they can go visit the farm. And we were talking to Ferndale Turkey. Um, and, and, you know, the idea of owning and selling direct and that power of creating that type of um, economic system as a I think it's a worldwide phenomenon, local local production yes. and uh, uh, local foods. And I, I'm sure it's the same in Canada uh, as it is here in, in the United States. It's it's coming into the forefront. Is it coming into the forefront in Canada? The, 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 it's a buy local and also think globally, act locally? Uh, what I would say is our consciousness is being raised on so many areas. We mentioned climate change earlier. That's certainly true on food as we get better uh, at uh, what's good for us, what's better for us, ways we can make plant and meat products better and eat better. Yes, yeah, so you have the same phenomena in Canada. And so how do But we I think even- the systems have to peacefully coexist. Uh, instead of fighting with one another. And that's the most important uh, key critical part of this whole discussion. Uh, We can't produce all the food we need through that system, but we certainly have, uh, there is a place for that system and we need to embrace that. And from the Department of Agriculture, I'm not here to decide which one is best. I'm here to support all systems. I really appreciate that. That that's a uh, that's a very important point. It, it is not. It's trying to get out of out of these polarities that have really um, uh, don't really produce as much abundance as they do drama memes. <laughs> yeah, they're they're not helpful when you have those debates. Yeah. How to have a healthy society yeah. and a move towards an anti-fragile food system. So you've used the term anti-fragile uh, time and time again. Uh, how fragile do you think our system is? I guess you're the one that's asking the questions, not me, right? Yeah, no, yeah. no, please do. Um, there's actually a wonderful book out, um, and the title is Anti-Fragile. Um, okay. It's done by the same guy who uh, coined the black swan theory. And what he said on anti-fragile is we want to create a world that when it's stressed, it gets stronger. And so we're expressing and we're experiencing a lot of stresses. How do we take, um, now, the, uh, the Beatles song, how to take a sad song and make it better? How do we take the stresses that we experience and build something that's stronger and better? Um, and of the flaxseed plant again trying to move into plant-based proteins um gardening in ways but it it is is very complex and it's um i look at it you know unfortunately i have the uh, dubious distinction of being a regulator so i have to look at (laughs) it from uh, the fragility of a system is based on you know how clean the bathrooms are in the grocery store so there are a variety of ways to look at it well, unfortunately, we're out of time, but we have an open invite for you guys to come back. You've been listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's been fun. Thanks. Thank you, Mark. Yeah.